The following recording is from Parramatta Christian Church. We pray that this message inspires you in your walk with Christ. Church, good morning. It's so great to be here with you today. Uh, my name is Andrew, in case you're wondering, and uh, I've been coming to Parramatta Christian Church for around 30 years now, uh, along with my beautiful wife, Cheryl. We, uh, both our parents still come here as well, and of course, our children. So uh, it's great to be sharing God's word with you today. If you're visiting, if you're just tuning in for the first time, we are partway through a series called The Kingdom Revealed. And The Kingdom Revealed, we're looking at the parables of Jesus, uh, in particular the ones he's talking about, you know, the kingdom of heaven is like, that sort of thing. We've looked at things like the mustard seed, we've looked at the pearl of great price, and now we are looking at the whole area of forgiveness. Now, Forgiveness sounds like such a, a wonderful thing. It sounds like an amazing thing that we should be laying hold of. It sounds divine. I mean, the most famous saying of forgiveness, which everybody knows, to err is human, but to forgive is divine. We know we make mistakes and we know that forgiveness should be forthcoming. But if I'm really honest, I find that in our day and age in particular, we're in a time where forgiveness is in huge demand, but in short supply to use an economic term. I find that we're in a time of rage and, you know, cancel culture and all these different things that are happening and people's mistakes are no longer tolerated. Uh, we're in a time where forgiveness just isn't forthcoming. It's needed and it's in huge demand, but no one seems willing to put it forward. Forgiveness is one of those things that we recognize is very godly. And it's, I mean, it's all through the Bible. You might recognize John MacArthur, who's a famous preacher, and he has this amazing quote. He says, Never are you more like God than when you forgive. Never are you less like God when you will not forgive. It's very thought-provoking. The heart of God is to show grace and to show mercy, and it's something we need to learn as His people in the world today. And so, just with that as a backdrop, I, I, I hope we... My prayer this morning is that we'll really walk away with a, just a, a real sense of how important this is to God and how important it is for our lives as well. So if you have your Bible this morning, I'm going to invite you to turn to Matthew chapter 18, very famous passage that you will no doubt have heard of, the unmerciful servant. Now, before we get into that, just to further talk about this whole forgiveness area, I want to share a brief story. There's a man by the name of Simon Wiesenthal. Simon Wiesenthal was a Jew in Austria. He was around in the time of World War II. So as you can imagine, he and his family, unfortunately, were sent off to a Nazi concentration camp. He was tortured and all sorts of things. He wrote his memoirs after the war and he talked about a time when he got to meet a soldier. This soldier was dying and he was really looking to confess his sin. He was really looking to um, just seek forgiveness from a Jew. That's really wanted, what he wanted Simon there for. And so Simon was brought in by a nurse and he begins to relay the story and he holds Simon's hand and he's like, I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry. Will you please forgive me for the, the, the evil that I've been a party to? And Simon wrote that he withdrew his hand and stopped the conversation and walked out of the room. That Nazi officer died and no forgiveness was offered. And see, church, that's how we think a lot of the time. 
he asked people, he thought, have I done the wrong thing? And somebody said to him, you know, if you would have accepted his apology, if you'd have offered him forgiveness, what you were doing is you're diminishing the crime. You are almost accepting the way that they treated us. Now that's understandable, but I think that also comes back to we don't actually know what forgiveness is. We don't understand what it means. And so Jesus sets out to teach us in this story. So with that, just as some background, let's dive in and let's read. So from verse 21, Then Peter came to Jesus and said, and asked, Lord, how many times shall I forgive my brother or sister who sins against me? Up to seven times? Jesus answered, I tell you, not seven times, but 77 times. Therefore, the kingdom of heaven is like a king who wanted to settle accounts with his servants. As he began the settlement, a man who owed him 10,000 bags of gold was brought to him. Since he was not able to pay, the master ordered that he and his wife and his children and all that he had be sold to repay the debt. At this, the servant fell on his knees before him. Be patient with me, he begged, and I will pay back everything. The servant's master took pity on him, cancelled the debt and let him go. But when that servant went out, he found one of his fellow servants who owed him a hundred silver coins. He grabbed him and began to choke him. Pay back what you owe me, he demanded. His fellow servant fell to his knees and begged him, be patient with me and I will pay it back. But he refused. Instead, he went off and had the man thrown into prison until he could pay the debt. When the other servants saw what had happened, they were outraged and went and told their master everything that had happened. Then the master called the servant in. You wicked servant, he said. I cancelled all that debt of yours because you begged me to. Shouldn't you have had mercy on your fellow servant just as I had had on you? In anger, his master handed him over to the jailers to be tortured until he should pay back all he owed. And notice verse 35. This is how my heavenly father will treat each of you unless you forgive your brother or sister from your heart. I've entitled this message, Limitless, Limitless. Church, let's pray. Father God, we thank you for your word this morning. Father, we just pray that as we come around your word, you will bring this alive to us, Lord God. Lord, that we would truly understand what it means to forgive from a kingdom perspective, Lord. That your grace really is limitless when it comes to our sin, the debt that we owe to you. Father, I pray that we would be channels of your grace. Help us, help me to communicate this word effectively to your people today, Lord. Let it transform us, let it change us, and just show us, Lord, where we need to show that grace to those around us. In your precious name, amen. So we have this amazing story it's kind of like a, a, a Shakespearean drama. There's two big acts here. This first act of was so wonderful and, and we'll go into, and then the second act is like a Shakespearean tragedy. And we can't ignore that. Before I dive into that though, it's probably worth us looking at what set this all up. Like any good movie, any good play, let's start at the beginning. What's the background? What's the context? 
Throughout chapter 18, Jesus has been talking to his disciples about the importance of living with one another, living in relationships. He spends time talking about Jesus. Uh, Jesus spends time talking about them living like, having childlike faith, having a childlike response to the grace of God, being in awe and fully dependent, recognizing our complete need for God. And then it goes on and talks about the way we're to relate to one another. Jesus talks about what happens when someone sins against you and how you're supposed to deal with that. And Jesus is making no, uh, making a very strong point here. There's no question we are to take sin seriously. But he finishes up by talking about what happens when that unity is fully achieved again. And he finishes up by saying that when you come together and you're in agreement and in unity and you're praying, I am there. I am there in your midst. And so with all of this going on, in verse 21, we see that Peter says, Lord, how many times shall I forgive my brother or sister? Now, I always feel bad for Peter. Peter always gets a bum rap from sermons. He's, you know, ready, fire, aim kind of guy. But I love Peter. He's always asking the question that we should be asking. Jesus has said something and Peter's like, yeah, but, but how? How is that going to work, God? What, what do we do? And so... Peter asks, how many times? And I think, honestly, Peter's been quite genuine here. Again, people will say Peter's trying to, you know, elicit a response from Jesus. But I think Peter's question is genuine. This is why. In the Hebrew tradition, the, the rabbis said, based on some sort of misunderstanding of some Old Testament scriptures, the rabbis said, you had to forgive three times. Once you got to the fourth, that's it. Wipe your hands of it. It's done. Don't worry about it. You have no obligation to forgive that person anymore. And so when Jesus is talking about living in unity with each other and, you know, trying to reconcile on sin, Peter's like, well, maybe we've got it wrong here. So Jesus, you're raising the bar. Should it be seven times? Should it be more? And then Jesus, of course, in his, uh, you know, the, the famous reply, I tell you, Peter, not seven times, but 77 times. Or the Greek originally renders that as 70 times seven. Now, like so many parables, when Jesus talks in this way, he's not talking literally. He's not saying, get out your calculator, figure out that 70 times seven is 490. He's not saying that when you get to a certain point, you can stop forgiving. That's not what he's saying. And I'll tell you why. Because when we read in 1 Corinthians that love keeps no record of wrongs, when we start going by this, we're keeping a record of wrongs. We're actually keeping track. Yes, I forgive you this, forgive you that, forgive you this, and that's it. That's not the spirit of love. That's not the spirit of forgiveness that Peter, uh, Jesus is trying to communicate to us. This, these numbers in Jewish tradition speak of completeness and wholeness and fullness and the complete uh, nothing, nothing lacking nature of God's love and God's mercy. And so Jesus is saying, Peter, your forgiveness needs to be prepared to be limitless. You need to be prepared to just keep going, keep forgiving, being willing to forgive others and move past. And so with that said, Jesus then opens up and we start this parable. Jesus explains that, uh, that concept more fully with this parable. And so here we have the unmerciful servant, as it's called. 
And so in verse 23, the kingdom of heaven is like a king who wanted to settle accounts with his servants. Sounds a bit like tax time, doesn't it? And we read that one of the servants had a debt that was insurmountable. He had a debt that was 10,000 bags of gold. Now, the NIV's kind of cleared that up a little bit, but the traditional Greek, it said 10,000 talents. Now, a talent, just get this in your head for a moment, a talent was 20 years of wages for the average worker. And he owes how many? 10,000 talents. If you did the maths based on today's average wage, minimum wage even, it's a multi-billion dollar debt. It's an insane amount of money. You can't wrap your head around it. But see, our poor friend here who owes this insurmountable debt, our friend's day is about to get a lot worse because 10,000 in the Greek was the largest number that they had in their vocabulary. There was no need for millions or billions or quadrillions. And so what Jesus is really saying is this debt couldn't be calculated. The, the word there um, for 10,000 is literally, it's translated as myriad, infinite. It's incalculable. We don't have a way to really say what this thing was worth. Needless to say, it was way beyond what any of us could pay. And so the master calls in the servant because the servant's probably not going to want to face the master knowing how much he owes. <clears throat> and the master tells him, you're going to be sold. Your wife is going to be sold. Your children are going to be sold. Your property, everything that is in your name will be sold. Now, how would you feel? How would you feel knowing that this is what you are facing? And we'd read that this servant fell on his knees and he's begging, he's begging his master, Master, please, please be patient with me. I will pay you back everything. I mean, the debt's insane. It's an enormous amount of money. And he's, he's suggesting somehow he can do it. There's no way he can pay that money back. But he becomes penitent. I didn't say repentant. He becomes penitent. He's somehow apologetic for it and regretting that he's owing this much. And then in this, still in this first act in this drama, we witness something come over the master. The master suddenly becomes compassionate. The master sees the pitiful state of his servant who owes him this debt and he, he's within his rights to sell everything that the servant has. But instead of that, he turns around and he says, okay, I'm willing to forgive you. I'm willing to forgive you. And this is what he does. Verse 27, the servant's master took pity on him, cancelled the debt and let him go. He cancelled the debt and he let him go. This is the definition of forgiveness. See, forgiveness is not just about, you know, the future. It's about moving past the past. The debt that was owed is forgiven. And not only is forgiven, it's let go. He got his Elsa on and he let it go. You see, we can often cancel debts, but we still hang on to, hey, remember when I did that for you? Remember when I, you know... But there's, there's, no, there's no lording it over the servant. It's kind of like, it's done for good. I release you. You are free. You're free. Now, church, just at that point, isn't that us? Isn't that where we have come to God from a position of just having 
this insurmountable debt that we owe to God in our sin. We have no way to make that up to God. And we, we deserve every bit of the punishment that was due to us. But instead of that, God cancels the debt and lets us go. Through Jesus, our debt has been cancelled. It's finished. See, church, there's two amazing truths that come out of this first act of the play. First of all, we have no capacity to pay our debt. 10,000 talents, whatever that ends up meaning, we've got no way that we can repay that to God. It's a debt that is just incalculable. Our sin just makes us fall so far short of the glory of God. And we deserve every bit of the punishment that is coming to us. But our generous king, just like the master in the story, our generous king is the only one who can cancel the debt. He's the only one that can step in and say, all right, I'll quash that. And he does. Only the king can cancel the debt. Only Christ can cancel our debt. Those of you who are paying mortgages, and I'm a long way from this, but what a wonderful feeling if the bank one day said, cancelled, stamp it, it's done. You are released from that debt. You'd be over the moon. I, I can imagine that this servant must have been gone from just, you know, despair and, and just thinking my future is ruined to suddenly, I have a future. I have a future. My debts are cancelled. I'm not lumbering this thing on my back anymore. It's done. Church, that's our future. We have had that done for us. We have had the greatest debt that we could have owed to God cancelled by the blood of Jesus, cancelled by the sacrifice of the cross. Church, that is such a wonderful, wonderful truth for us this morning. We had no capacity to pay the debt. Only the king was able to cancel it. Church, as the hymn says, my sin... Oh, the bliss of this glorious thought. My sin, not in part, but in whole, was nailed to the cross and I bear it no more. Praise the Lord, oh my soul. Church, that is us. He paid a debt he didn't owe. He's cancelled it on our behalf. Praise Christ Jesus for that. Now, Act 1, what a wonderful way to finish this teaching. Wouldn't it be great if Act 1 was the end? You go to intermission and this is like, awesome, what a story. Unfortunately, there is an act too. God's responsibility, God has done everything he can for us by giving us Jesus, by giving us the cross. But that's not where the story ends. Because in act two, we see our response through the response of the servant. And unfortunately, the news is not great. Our attention moves from the generosity of our king and the insurmountable debt. Our attention then moves to the cruelty of the servant, the unmerciful actions that he displays to one of his fellow servants. We read in verse 28, the servant went out and found one of his fellow servants who owed him a hundred silver coins. Now, listen, he's just been forgiven. He's just had this incalculable amount of money taken away and not needing to pay that anymore. You would think he'd be set up for days, weeks, months, so much joy. And yet what happens? He leaves the king's presence and no sooner has he done this, he looks around and he sees, oh, 
There's Maximus. He owes me a hundred silver coins, a hundred denarii. And see, church, you would think, of course, what have you been forgiven from? But I'll come back to this. This can be the way we act as well. He sees Maximus, who owes him a hundred denarii, 100 days wages. Now, I've heard preachers gloss over this, and it's true. You can't compare a hundred denarii to this insurmountable debt. But a hundred days wages, that's not little. That still hurts, right? Even today, to give four months of your money away, that's painful. And so you can understand why he wants to get it back. But notice the way he goes to achieve this. He's just left the king's presence. He grabs him by the throat and begins to choke him. Pay me what you owe. And then the, the servant's response is to fall to his knees and to beg for patience from the first servant. You would think he's looking at Maximus and thinking, I, I, I've, I've been here before. I've seen this before. This was me just moments ago. But there's none of that. That's all forgotten. He's lost sight of the sheer size and weight and depth of the debt that he owed to the master. That suddenly this smaller debt, which obviously is still painful, but can be so let go of by comparison. So different. And so in his anger, he throws him into jail. Now, church, we might look at that and think, who would do that? Who of us would be forgiven such a debt? And then the, the next second, we're, we're holding people to ransom for their debts, which are so much smaller. Church, the reality is you and I are very quick to receive the forgiveness of God. But often that's where the channel gets blocked. That's where the channel of grace fails to flow. We're so thankful that we're saved. We're so thankful for all that God has done. And yet when it comes to then sharing that grace, sharing that forgiveness, it's not quite so limitless for us to share that out. And that's not the way it should be. And you might say, I would never do that. Well, Sunday morning, you've come to church. We're not coming to church at the moment, but you've come to church. You've been in God's presence. You've worshipped Him. You've heard His Word and all of that. And you're just so thankful. And then come Tuesday, Wednesday at work, and you're just having a really rotten week. And everybody's rubbing you up the wrong way. Maybe your kids have disappointed you in the evening with their homework or whatever, or somebody got a detention. Maybe, maybe it's your spouse. Maybe it was the way home from church that afternoon. And you had an argument and you're still aggro about it. The enemy knows that when we don't forgive, there are roadblocks to our Christianity. The enemy knows that this is not the way God wants us to behave. And he's prepared to throw anything at us to make sure that we don't. That's the sad reality, church. So you say, that's not me. That's all of us, unfortunately. We are all prey to receiving God's grace but not letting the forgiveness flow to others. Why do we do it? Why does that happen? I mean, we're humans, but why? Why is that? There's a couple of reasons, I think. Firstly, we don't want to look like a doormat. We don't want to appear weak. We don't want to be taken advantage of. Now, that's a very human response. And you look around you and the world is screaming at you that you are the most important person in the universe. So it's no surprise that this is the way we want to treat other people. 
But see, church, just like everything else in the kingdom, the kingdom of God is subversive. The kingdom of God is countercultural to everything, every message that this world screams at us. And just like Simon Wiesenthal, I told you about in the beginning, the world will tell us, stand firm, hang on to what was done to you. Hang on to that hurt because that's your right. That's your right as a human being. But you see, church, in God's kingdom, in God's kingdom, if there's anything this passage communicates to us, that any right that we had to hold a grudge, any right that we had to just stand on our pain and say, you hurt me, you need to compensate me or whatever, that is surrendered the minute we accept the grace of Jesus. You notice that? Our rights to getting recompense, our rights to restitution, that finished. That finished because we have accepted forgiveness for our debt to God. And suddenly those other debts, they need to be left at the cross as well. They need to be left with Jesus as well. And so whether it means we look like a doormat or not is irrelevant. What matters is, are we honoring our Savior? Are we honoring Him? That's the first reason I think we don't forgive. We don't want to appear weak. The second reason that I think we don't want to appear weak, we don't want to forgive, is because we're genuinely disappointed. People have hurt us. People have wounded us. And that's legitimate. That's hard to get over. By the way, remember I said forgiveness is cancelling the debt and letting it go. Forgiveness is not allowing yourself to be uh, hurt again and again and again. Forgiveness does not equal an excuse for abuse. See, Jesus, nowhere in this, nowhere in this passage, we don't read that the master forgave a 10,000 talent debt and said, this is all forgiven. And then said, by the way, here's 2,000 more talents. When you declare bankruptcy in the finance system, you can't get a loan again, right? It's kind of the same thing. Forgiveness is not the same as letting your future be ruined. Jesus didn't say you have to have a future of misery. He just said you need to move past your past misery. You need to let go of that and cancel that debt. You are under no obligation to be abused in the future. That's not what he's saying. What he's just saying is we need to understand what forgiveness actually is. We need to move past that past, even if it means the future relationship may be impacted, even if it means we remove ourselves from that situation. That's okay. That's actually okay. But we need to make sure that unforgiveness is not in our hearts. So those are two reasons. But I think the key reason, the biggest thing, to me at least, is that we have lost sight of the enormity of the debt that Christ has forgiven us. We've lost sight of all that God has achieved through the cross. Because when we see this mountain, it's kind of like, yes, I'm in pain. Yes, this hurts. But my Savior went through so much for me. My Savior went through so much. How can I hang on to this? Now, you might hear that you say, yes, Andrew, but you don't know what they did to me. You don't know how they hurt me, how they abused me, how they uh, broke my trust, how they just stole my joy. And, and I don't. I don't know. But church, hear me. I'm big enough. I'm old enough, I'm ugly enough to know that this is life in relationships. This is the way it is with human beings. We simply don't know how to interact with each other without offending each other. 
That's how it's going to go. I've offended people. People have offended me. And you've done it and seen it in your own life. I'm not saying it doesn't hurt. Jesus wouldn't tell us to forgive again and again all through this book. All through this book, forgiveness wouldn't be there if it was easy. Church, we don't need to be told things that are easy. We need to be told things that are hard. We need to be told things that are difficult to put into practice. But I promise you, the blessing is there if we will do it. Because saints, when we don't forgive, we think we're standing on some sort of moral high ground. Unfortunately, the one who suffers the most is more often than not you and me when we choose not to forgive. And here's why. Verse 35, it says, This is how my heavenly Father will treat each of you unless you forgive your brother or sister from your heart. There is a, there is a distinct lack of blessing. It's not entirely clear what this is, but there is clearly a lack of blessing that by not forgiving, by not forgiving others, we fall into the trap of we're going to miss out. It could even be right up to not being forgiven for our sins because we know that Jesus says over and over, you know, we need to love as he loved. We need to walk as he walked. And if we won't forgive people, it's all through this book. The Lord's Prayer, Matthew chapter 6, forgive us our debts, Lord, as we forgive those who have debts against us. God will not forgive us if we don't forgive others. I want the blessing of God. I want to know there's nothing between me and my Savior. And I know you do as well. And the call is simple. We have to forgive. Now, some of you might look at that and you think, that doesn't seem very fair. A God who's generous and loving and kind suddenly saying, I won't forgive your sin. I, 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 I just won't do it. See, we talked about before that Matthew 18, a lot of the earlier part, Jesus is treating sin seriously. But we've also got to recognize he treats grace seriously as well. And we need to do the same. And if we won't, we are bringing judgment on ourselves. D.A. Carson, Christian scholar, wrote this amazing quote. He said, Jesus sees no incongruity. In other words, there's, there's nothing that he sees that is inconsistent. There's no problem that Jesus has with the actions of a heavenly father who forgives so bountifully and yet punishes so ruthlessly. And neither should we. Jesus says, this is the nature of my father. If my father is holy, he must be just. But if he loves us, then he must deal with sin and show grace to those of us he loves. And see church, by the cross, we are able to enter into the forgiveness of Christ. We don't have to be treated justly like our sins deserve. But if we won't extend that forgiveness, we can expect the justice of a holy God. It's not inconsistent. It is, this is who God is. He loves us and he wants the best for us. He wants us to bear his image. And his image is so tied up in grace and love and forgiveness. And so to draw this to a close, church, I began with a story and I'm going to end with a story. Many of you will know this. Um, just before we went into lockdown, actually, up the road from here, uh, a bunch of young kids, they were family, brothers, sisters, some cousins. They went for a walk one summer evening and uh, just in their local area, not again, like two minutes from here. 
they went for a walk and there was a car coming and the car was driving on the wrong side of the road and as far as we know the driver was under the influence of something that car struck them on the side of the road lost control and three sisters and their cousin uh, sorry three siblings and their cousin died that night you may have heard the story the family is the abdallah family they're uh they're around here they have about six kids and they had to bury three of their children i i don't even know what that feels like i, I pray i never do i've got three beautiful daughters they had to say goodbye to them but do you know that within days within days these people were saying do you know what I, i'm not angry with the driver i'm sad i miss my children of course i do but i know they're with god i know they're in heaven and one day we'll be reunited See, church, that, that takes grace. That takes the Holy Spirit. That takes relationship with God. That takes seeing us, us seeing the weight of our debt and realizing that the debts of others just don't compare. They just don't compare, even when it comes to losing a loved one like that. And so, church, in closing, where do you want to be? Do you want to be Simon Wiesenthal, who was in the concentration camp? Or do you want to be like the Abdallah family? Both of them underwent massive losses. Both of them lost so much, but the response was completely different. One was just laced with grace and mercy and forgiveness. And the other was just like any of us would be in the world. Do we want to be like the unmerciful servant who can't handle this debt that is it hurts, but in the end is so minuscule compared to the gigantic debt that the master forgave? Are we going to be like the master? Church, my prayer is that we would say, yes, that is us. We want to be people that are marked with generous forgiveness. People that will not uh, stop ourselves from being channels of grace. That the channel of grace that Jesus has he's poured out into us, we would let that flow to those who wrong us. That we would forgive the debtors around us because, hey, the debt that I owed was so big. The debt that I owed was so great. You see, church, in God's kingdom, our rights to holding a grudge, our rights, they were surrendered at the cross. And it is now our privilege to be a channel of grace. It is our privilege to be, to be just showing the mercy and love of God. Because after all, it's His kindness shown through us that leads people to repentance. I want to be that kind of person. I want us to be that kind of church. And I'm sure you do as well, church. Let's pray. Let's pray. Father, this morning, we thank you for your word. It's a challenge to us, Lord. It is a real challenge for us to accept this. Not because of what you've done, Lord, but because what that then means for us. Lord, the way that we have been shown grace and mercy and forgiveness, that was limitless, Lord. You call us to be channels of that grace and mercy and forgiveness to those around us. Lord, we come with hurts, we come with pain. But Lord, we thank you, you are willing to suffer the pain for us so that our debt could be cancelled. Father, this morning, I pray for those of us who are struggling with some of those past hurts, God. God, I just ask for your comfort. I ask for your spirit to come upon those people right now, Lord. Speak to them, Lord. Show them, Lord, that 
you have not given up on them. You have seen their pain. But Lord, you have also called them to move past that, not to be callous, Lord, but because you love them, because you want what's best for them, Lord. Lord, I pray that they would know the difference between where they need to completely let go as well, Lord God. They are not confined to a miserable future. Lord, your future for us is a good one. Even when there's pain, Lord, there is a bright future ahead for each and every one of us. Lord, I pray that we would be the kind of people that are known, not as doormats, Lord, but as people that are loving, people that are willing to forgive, people that will still stand for justice, but Lord, people that are freely offering mercy. Father, I pray that we would walk in this way, Lord. We would walk as Micah says, Lord. We would long to do justly, to love mercy and to walk humbly with you, Lord. Lord, commit this word to our hearts, Lord. Help us to be more forgiving. Help us to be more willing to forgive. Help us to see what your kingdom is all about. In Jesus' precious name. And we all said, wherever we are, amen. Thank you for listening to the Parramatta Christian Church podcast. To hear other sermons or to find out more about our church, please visit our website at pcc.org.au.